Well, we have finally come to the very last passage in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31. This section of Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, is a wonderful poem of praise as a portrait to the godly wife. This will culminate a nearly ten-year study in the book of Proverbs. Having studied on Sunday evenings, every other Sunday evening, with, of course, notable lulls in between with other ministry activities and other preaching, we began in April of 2001, and we will spend several weeks here in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31, so that we might extol all of the virtues and learn all of the wonderful colors of the palette of the portrait of a godly wife. This is a most wonderful picture. And I want us to linger long here because I want us to extract every morsel that we can about what this godly wife is and also what she does. I want you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31 and we'll read verses 10 to 31 as the setting for our morning. Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. 
But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. As I said, this is a wonderful poem. And if you didn't already know it, this is a wonderful poem that actually has great symmetry to it. For every one of the beginning consonants in each of the verses of this particular section of Proverbs 31 actually corresponds in order to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so there is design here. There is a symmetry. There's a beauty to this poem. And as I said to you last time, I don't know if the author of this chapter, King Lemuel, is actually writing this poem to his wife. It certainly could be the case. Or whether he's actually thinking about his mother, the queen mother, who he does reference in verse 1 of this chapter. Or possibly, King Lemuel is seeing in his mind a composite of a number of women that he has seen in the ancient Near East, and he is thinking in his mind, of course under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of what a godly wife is to be and to do. We don't know. But what we do know is this, that what he writes of in this portion of Proverbs 31 is glorious. It's beautiful. And yet in some ways we have to qualify even before we begin to teach this section. And I think we have to qualify it in two ways. Number one, when you read this, especially as a wife or even just as a woman, you might be very tempted, and I'm sure you have as you've read it before, to become very, very discouraged. Because this is the lofty view. This is a view of womanhood. This is a view of wifeliness that you may think is unattainable. You may have attempted to memorize this passage before. Or maybe you've even attempted to live out some of these passages, if not all of them, and find yourself very frustrated at your inability to even come close. I think there's another qualifier here. And it may be that you haven't even arisen to that kind of lofty goal in an effort to either memorize or live out or both this passage as a standard of living for you. You've seen it. You've read it. And even before you begin to apply any of its truth, you say it's so lofty and you make that even as an excuse not to obey it at all. Now, Either way, or anywhere in between, it is still God's Word, and it is still left for us to apply, and for the men around you in your life to help you apply these truths from God's Word, so that neither of those extremes are fulfilled at all. Oh, it's good to be able to say to yourself, I want to attain to the highest level of this, But the Lord doesn't want you to be discouraged if you don't attain to it. 
And we want to avoid the extreme that says, I cannot attain to it. I'm not even going to try, for that is disobedience. And the Lord is not pleased with that either. Somewhere in the middle, somewhere like this, Lord, this is a wonderful passage, and it is so incredibly convicting. I know that I might not ever fully and completely attain to all of it, but I want to. That's my desire. Would you give me the power of your Holy Spirit so that I might live the rest of my life endeavoring to live out as much of it as I possibly could? And Lord, if I've even looked at this passage before and I've seen it as so utterly unattainable that I've been so frustrated even before trying, that I've given up before the first measure of the race, And I say to myself, it is unattainable, I cannot do it, and I actually disregard your word, not even asking for your Holy Spirit's power to live out what I know is commanded of me. So either way it goes, we need to be careful that we honor God's word enough to want to keep it, and yet at the same time knowing that it will be a supreme challenge for a woman who aspires to godliness to live it out and not give up trying to do so. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. There's been much that has been taught on it. I'm not going to try to give you new insights, snazzy statements, um, carefully written ideas that no one else has ever come up with. I simply want to reiterate what God's Word says as best I can to help you, especially as a wife, to be as godly as you can. For those of you who are single, to aspire to these things, to find a husband who sees this in you in days to come. And for those of you who have lived long on this earth, and you're a mother, yea, even a grandmother, And you're looking to this passage and saying, what can I do even if I haven't lived out fully this passage in my life up to this point? How much time will the Lord give me in order for me to do all that I can to live up to it in my last days? Whatever the case is with you, this is a passage for us and even men for you so that you can hold those women accountable who you are involved with, your wife, your mother, your grandmother, your daughters, even you single men who aspire to look for a wife like this, someone that you want to marry who embodies these qualities, it really applies to all of us. Proverbs 31, it's an interesting, fascinating passage. Someone may ask, well, if it corresponds, these first consonants, to all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, is that for memory purposes? Well, it could be, although I don't think that was really the case of King Lemuel. I don't think he was thinking in his mind, I'll do this in a stylistic, poetic way so that it will be easier for you to memorize. I think that probably, primarily, the reason he does it this way for the Hebrew reader is to explain the totality of what it means to be a godly wife. We might say it in our vernacular with the English alphabet something like this. This is what it means to be a godly wife from A to Z. This is how you live as a godly woman 
who's married to your man. This is what you do. This is God's instruction. And I believe that these particular verses are wonderful. There's another thing about the structure of this passage, and I want you to note it. In the first three verses, verses 10, 11, and 12, notice that it also wonderfully corresponds to the last four verses of the chapter. That is verses 28, 29, 30, and 31. Notice it with me. This is really interesting. Notice, wife in verse 10. Notice, woman in verse 30. Notice that there is the excellent wife or the valiant wife referred to in verse 10. And notice in verse 29, the noble, same word, same root word, the valiant wife there in verse 29. Her worth is far above jewels, according to verse 10. And it says in verse 29, she's excel, she excels all women. And notice in verse 11, her husband trusts in her. And verse 28, her husband praises her. Why the parallels? Think of it this way. These are bookends. The three verses, 10, 11, and 12, and the last four verses, 28 to 31, give us, in a sense, the introduction and then the body in verses 13 to 27, and then the conclusion in verses 28 to 31. In essence, you have a wonderful poem, stylistically given to us, with each consonant of each verse corresponding to each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, with the introduction telling us the same thing, essentially, that the conclusion tells us, and with the meat of the story, the body in between. It's wonderful to study, and we should study it right now. I'm only going to give you, however, this morning the introduction because we have time for the celebration of the Lord's table, and I only have time to give you, in verses 10 and 11 and 12, five colors of the palette of the portrait of a godly wife. Five wonderful colors which express in this introduction the colors on the palette of the portrait of a godly wife. What are they? Well, she is excellently valiant. Verse 10. She is exceedingly valuable. Verse 10. She is wholeheartedly trustworthy. Verse 11. She is wonderfully thrifty. Verse 11. And in verse 12, she is perpetually helpful. She is excellently valiant. She is exceedingly valuable. She is wholeheartedly trustworthy. She is wonderfully thrifty. And she is perpetually helpful. All of that is just the introduction to the godly wife. Let's find out about these five things. Look at the first one with me. She is excellently valiant. Excellently valiant. Look at the first phrase in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. You remember the earlier author of the book of Proverbs, Solomon, says something similar when he says, a faithful man who can find. In other words, 
For emphasis, just as King Lemuel begins this section, he immediately begins to accentuate the godly virtues of a God-fearing wife. And the reason that I outline this point as an excellently valiant wife is this. That particular phrase in English that's translated there in verse 10, excellent, is actually in the Hebrew text a word from the Hebrew language that means a woman of valor, a valiant woman. Maybe even translated like this, a woman of strength, a woman of courage. It's fascinating that this particular word also is used in other places in the Old Testament to refer to mighty men of valor in battle. Which shows that this kind of excellent wife is not simply excellent for excellence sake, but it's actually communicating that she has a resident strength within. She's strong. In fact, look at a couple of times that this is also listed here in this chapter. Look at verse 17. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. That has a lot to do with how she's being portrayed here. The excellent wife or the excellently valiant wife. Look at verse 21. It says she is not what? Afraid. She is not afraid. Verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing. One commentator pointed out that at the time of the KJV translation, the King James Version, which, by the way, translates this phrase as a virtuous woman, the common English sense of that phrase, virtuous woman, at the time was a heroic woman. She was a hero. In fact, look in your Bibles at Proverbs chapter 12, and you'll see this come up again. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12.4 says it this way, An excellent wife, same term, same idea, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness to his bones. It's interesting that Ruth was called a woman of excellence, a woman of valor. And she had to be courageous, did she not? The time when she refused to come, the time when she went to the king out of order. She had to be a woman of valor, of courage, of strength. And if this woman is likened to mighty men of valor, males who went into battle and actually is using that same term, it is implying to us in the strongest terms that she is a woman of great strength. She's not a wimp. She's not a wallflower. It says in verse 21, she's not afraid. Strength is her clothing. She is an excellently valiant woman. And even though we've broken up each of these phrases in this poem as a separate outline point, King Lemuel actually gives us a reason why she's valiant. Notice what he says in the latter part of verse 10, for her worth is far above jewels. That is, she is exceedingly 
valuable. Oh, it's so interesting. In the ancient Near East, as you know from reading in your Old Testament, there was a bride price that was paid for a woman when a man wanted her to be his wife. And that husband-to-be would take that bride price and he would pay the woman's father for the opportunity to marry her. And that that bride price at times was incredibly high. And notice what King Lemuel is saying here. An excellent wife, an excellently valiant wife, who can find for, here's the reason, the reason for her valiance, for her worth is far Above jewels. Far above. Exceedingly valuable. We would say maybe a dowry today. A dowry price. And in essence, King Lemuel is saying that dowry price is so high that it's far above even the jewels that you could think of. Even the pristine diamond. Even the pearl of great price. Far above that. And you say, that doesn't describe me. Well, listen to this. Mark Weathers writes about this rare jewel of a godly wife in his book, How to Pray for Your Wife. He says this, very wisely so. It is fascinating that the excellent woman is compared to a priceless gem that has been cut and polished to perfection. Both diamonds and pearls undergo a process through which they are made beautiful. Diamonds are cut and polished with great precision and care by a master artist. Pearls are created as a result of a piece of sand that has been lodged inside an oyster. This marine mollusk secretes a substance that calcifies around the sand, creating a pearl. Zoologists tell us that this process is as painful for the oyster as it is for a woman to give birth. So, a carbon rock becomes a priceless diamond, and a common grain of sand becomes a pearl of great price. Also, in both cases, an artist transforms the stones into beautiful and valuable jewels. This process is very much like the transformation of a sinner to a saint. Since the process of salvation is performed by the master artist, capital M, capital A, and requires his immediate care and attention. Women do not work harder to transform themselves into persons of excellence. Rather, they submit to God's dealings as He works upon them through time and experience and often through pain to make them beautiful testimonies of God's artistry. God admonishes us husbands to both find and behold the emerging beauty within our wives. A diamond in the rough is still a diamond. And a pearl hidden in a rough and ordinary oyster shell is still a pearl. A woman in the process of sanctification is appreciating into a valuable, hard-to-find woman. A treasure worth so much more than the rarest of diamonds. Begin to view her as such. And you'll discover that you'll value her more and more. Oh, you may be saying of yourself, I'm no diamond, believe you me. I'm no pearl of great price. Oh, but you are. Because number one, you've been created in the image of God. And number two, God, if you're a Christian, is working on you 
and shaving away the rough edges and he's forming and shaping the sand particle into a beautiful pearl. Don't ever forget it. You are, as God shapes and fashions and molds you as a godly wife into a person whose worth is far above jewels. This is what you ought to aspire to. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. Proverbs 18, 22. This is what we ought to, godly wives, aspire to. This is what you, godly husbands, godly men, ought to have, ought to want to have, ought to aspire to marry. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Make that your prayer request, young men. Lord, give me your favor. I want your favor. And one of the ways, Lord, that you could favor me is by giving me a good thing, a good wife. Look at chapter 19, verse 14. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from where? The Lord. The Lord. You know, some of you, even as young men, some of you as older men, single men, are doing all you can, and there's some sense of a responsibility on your part to be sure, but you may be looking in the wrong places, and you may be doing the wrong things, And you should instead back up a step or two or more and say to yourself, if a prudent wife is from the Lord, how much have I asked you, Lord? How much have I sought you out, Lord? How much have I taken on myself? How much have I attempted to bring a wife to myself in my own strength, by my own power, through my own ingenuity? Lord, if a prudent wife is from you, I ought to be praying every day that you'll give her to me. A good thing, a good wife is from the Lord. This godly wife is an exceedingly valuable jewel. And that's the way we ought to treat them. Thirdly, she is wholeheartedly trustworthy. Wholeheartedly trustworthy. Look at the first part of verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Now, isn't that interesting? You say, well, why is that interesting? Well, apart from maybe one other passage in Judges Chapter 20, verse 36, which is a different context, although it's talking about trusting in someone. This is the only other passage in the entire Bible that actually speaks encouragingly of a person needing to trust in another person. Isn't that interesting? That throughout the entire Bible, even Old and New Testaments, constantly and repeatedly, the theme is something like this. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust only in the Lord. Even in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Don't trust, don't lean upon your own understanding, but lean upon or trust in whom? The Lord. And yet, encouragingly, commandingly, or at least expressingly, does the Bible writer here say her husband trusts 
in her. And it's not a negative thing. It's not a negative thing at all. It's not trust in her for your salvation, of course. That, that trust can only come in and from the Lord. But this is trusting in her because she is wholeheartedly trustworthy. How can that be? Look at verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You can actually, through trusting in the helpmate that God has given you, the helper that God has given you, trust in the Lord, praise the Lord for her, praise the Lord for her wholehearted trustworthiness. What an opportunity. This is the only passage other than the Judges 20 passage, verse 36, that talks about trusting in someone else as though it were a good thing. Oh, believe me. Leadership. The leadership of a male in a home, even with all of our fancy gadgets and all of our wonderful lifestyle and all of the material riches that we have in our own country to say nothing of other countries who have none of it and who are disadvantaged in almost every other way, even in our country and certainly in those, the presence of male leadership in the home of a husband and father who needs to lead well and who needs to do a good job is incredibly intense and at times backbreaking. It's hard to lead. Very difficult to lead. To be able to make the right decisions at the right moments. To be able to do the right things with the right motives. To be able to lead and lead well. To be able to lead spiritually speaking. And to do so with a kind of power that comes from God. And with a kind of insight that comes from the Word of God. It is hard. And if you've ever tried to lead, and if you've ever tried to lead a home... If you've ever tried to lead a church, if you've ever tried to lead a society, it is hard, it is taxing, it is intense, and a man, a male, needs incredible assistance. And what does God do? He provides that very woman, the one who is closest to Him, to give Him advice, and to give Him counsel, and to give Him love, and to give Him encouragement, and to give Him comfort when He comes home, and the back-breaking work of leadership is upon Him, and it is so intense that He wants to give up, and she's there, she's there to pray for Him, to love Him, to encourage Him, to admonish Him, to receive instruction, and to give it in return, and when he receives that help from her, he says to himself, she's wholeheartedly trustworthy. I can share my innermost thoughts with her. And I know, ladies, that some of the time you would wish, you would want, you would pray to God that those innermost thoughts from your husband would come to you and that he would share transparently all of his joys and all of his sorrows and all of those things for which he would want you to know, but for some reason he's struggling to share it with you and you would want him to transparently give it to you, but he does not. I know that's the case with some of you, but for those of you who receive that from your husband and the ones who are asking you for your counsel and that you are giving it to Him, you are precious to Him. You are precious to Him. Even if He does not always heed it. Even if He does not always assume that He wants it. You are wholeheartedly trustworthy. 
And when in those bleak days and those dark days and those discouraging days, when you do that very thing and you are cut off from him from doing it, or in his pride he does not want you to give him the advice that he so desperately needs, take heart. This word, the word of God, says to you, says about you, that you can, with prayer and with the sovereignty of God and his wonderful providence, be ultimately the kind of wife for which the husband trusts in you wholeheartedly husbands do you trust your wife do you trust your wife could be a husband who says I ask her repeatedly to trust my leadership do you trust her heart could it be that the tide has been so turned in your continual request, yea, demand that your wife trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. When in that very opportunity to trust, she, she speaks to you tenderly, hopefully. And when she does, part of the very fabric of your relationship is your humble acknowledgement that you need to hear from her the kinds of things because you trust her that will help you in that very leadership. Part of the opportunity to say to her, trust my leadership, is the opportunity for you to humbly receive her heart when she trustworthily comes to you and speaks to you about your life, about your family, about your work, about your character, about who you are, about where you're going, about the family and about the future. If you want her to trust in your leadership, then trust in her heart. Trust in her heart. Scripture says that the husband finds in the excellently valiant wife a wholehearted trustworthiness that is to be commended and even emulated. You should even see her as so trustworthy that you'd be inclined to follow her excellent example of fearing the Lord. You know in Proverbs 27:17 that says as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. You know that man is generic there. It could very well be even though sparks sometimes fly, even though there is sometimes friction, so one man with his wife sharpens one another. They can sharpen each other. Respect for the husband, we read it in Ephesians 5. And trust of the husband in his wife, he trusts in her. Well, that's a beautiful marriage. It's a beautiful marriage for a husband who says, my wife trusts my leadership, and for a wife to say, and my husband trusts in my trustworthiness. That's his heart. Here's a fourth. She is wonderfully thrifty. She is wonderfully thrifty. Look at the latter part of verse 11. And he will have no lack of gain. That's a combination there in that verse. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. Part of the reason that I trust in the heart of my wife from my heart, 
is because I watch what she does. I see that she's so wonderfully thrifty. And I say thrifty here because in a sense, that's exactly what it's drawing us toward when it says he will have no lack of gain. That's sort of like the the material needs of life. Uh, That's what she does with the money when it comes home. That's the sense of a woman who works hard with what she receives and what she herself may even generate from inside the home. In fact, the word gain there is actually a Hebrew term that is translated in some other places as the word spoil. To the victor go the spoils. And again, King Lemuel is using the military terminology to talk about the risks that your wife will take to be a thrifty person. Someone for whom the husband does not need to have questions and anxiety in his mind because his wife is working diligently. She is working in a trustworthy manner so that when he comes home and when he's away from home, his heart is that he has no lack of gain. He's going to be a man who is satisfied. He is satisfied. He sees what she's doing. He trusts in her. She's so trustworthy. She's so diligent. She's valiant. She works hard with what is at home. And she makes the ends meet there. You say, how so? Well, just look at the rest of this wonderful poem. She looks for wool and flax, verse 13, works with her hands in delight. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still night. She gives food to her household, portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and the hands that grasp the spindle. She reaches out to the poor. She clothes her household with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her husband's known in the gates, that is, her husband is seen as respectable because of what she's doing at home. She makes linen garments and she sells them. She supplies belts to the tradesmen. She even spiritually opens her mouth in wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. This is a woman I like. This is, a, this is a woman who works hard. This is a woman who says, I want to do what I can do here in our home and here at this homestead while my husband is going out and doing what he can do on his end. We have a partnership. She's thrifty. This is, this is the Titus 2 woman, isn't it? Look at Titus 2. Titus 2. Older women, verse 3 says, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. How often have you thanked your wife for her enterprising nature? Thanking her for, at times, I'm sure, at our house like yours, pinching pennies, trying to do what is best, 
I mean, I so appreciate it. I saw my wife coming home recently and she had a new idea and that was making your own laundry detergent. I mean, just anything that a person can do to say, here's what I can do. Here's what I can give. Here's my contribution. Here's, here's how I'll work hard because I know, honey, you're working hard outside the home. That's, a, that's an industry. That's a woman of industry. That's someone who loves her family and who loves her God and wants to, wants to represent them in the best way. She is wonderfully thrifty. How often do we as men say, thanks for a job well done? Thank you so much. If we have a wonderfully thrifty and godly wife, the Bible says we will have no lack of gain. The the spoil, the fruit of her hands, as she takes what she has in and around the home, and with that collective labor of that partnership, there's no lack of gain. What is it to have a partner in life like this? She's truly a helper. She's she's truly God's design for me. What a wonderful, thrifty person this godly wife is portrayed to be. Here's the fifth and final for this morning. She is perpetually helpful. She's perpetually helpful. Verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You say, okay, all right. There's one of those that's uh, hardly attainable. I do him good and not evil all the days of my life. That sounds like one of those 100% verses. Always good, never evil, all the days of my life. Lord, how about... Most days. How about many days? Some days. Would you settle for that, Lord? Some days. Lord, give me some slack. Give me a little room. I mean, is this the standard? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Constantly looking out for his welfare. Always wanting to do him good. Speaking of benefits, spiritual and physical benefits, I want to benefit my husband. I want to love him, take care of him. Loving kindness, righteousness. I want to shun evil about him, against him. I don't want to speak evil of him. I don't want to return good with anything but good, and I don't want to return evil with anything but good. If evil is given to me, I want to return it with good. Romans 12, Proverbs 20, 22. I I want not to harm, but to help. How can I help? What can I do to serve? And I know there are times, ladies, when you might ask that question, you just get metaphorically slapped right across the face. It's hard. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult to ask the question, and then receive an answer that you didn't expect, let alone then forging ahead, persevering, without promoting evil for evil, but doing good for any evil that comes. Oh, but when you do it, 
Blessings come. Blessings come. And when you have a mindset that says you want to do it all the days of your life, it speaks of the duration. The duration of your life is this is my heart. And this is right about the time when you say, but, but Lord, I already have to confess because I haven't done it all the days of my life. Well, then confess it. Confess it to the Lord. He'll forgive. Ask Him for grace. Husbands, see how hard she's working. Give her grace. Give her some slack. Don't be so hard-headed. Don't be so punitive. Don't be so exacting. Because the measure with which you measure others will be measured out to you. Maybe the reason why your, your leadership as a male is as exacting and hard and difficult as it is is because the Lord is showing you how you treat your wife. Boy, she is committed to Him. She does Him good and not evil all the days of her life. She's perpetually helpful. She's committed to Him for life. It doesn't mean that she winks at the evil that her husband commits. And it certainly doesn't mean that she submits to her husband's request for complicity in doing evil or that she abides by the evil that he commands her to do. doesn't mean that at all. It does mean, though, that she does as much good as she can. She will seek to honor him. She will seek to do good deeds toward him. And as long as she can serve him with holiness and with honor, she will seek to do so because she's committed to him for life. What a woman this is. Bow together in prayer with me. As we pray to God for not only a wife like that, but for confession and repentance if I haven't thanked God for a wife like that. Are you praying for and thanking God for your wife? You might be saying, I don't recognize the woman you're describing. Certainly isn't my wife. Well, possibly not. But how fervently have you been praying for your wife to become like that? How much do you strive to become the husband that God wants you to be? Believing that God will work in you. And who is working in your wife. In order to mold and shape her as a diamond in the rough or as a piece of sand being longed formed into a pearl of great price. Ask God to work in you. Ask God to work in her for His glory and, and your good, for the good of your marriage. And if you aren't married, ask God to give you this kind of woman you're not married and you're a woman, ask God for the becoming of this kind of person so that a godly man would see you as so exceedingly valuable and rare as she might be. And the Bible says she's rare. God will uphold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, even just the introduction to this beautiful poem sends us to our knees. For wives, it convicts us and challenges us. And we ask for Your forgiveness. We confess to You that we have fallen far short of this lofty standard. And Father, for a husband who's not seen in his wife these kinds of qualities, maybe it's because he's too busy looking at others. Maybe he's too busy focused upon himself that he doesn't see that she's a diamond in the rough. A pearl being shaped and formed as a pearl of great price. Maybe he's thankless. Lord, we confess, seek your forgiveness because we want to be the husbands who see our wives in this way. Lord, I pray for the young people who are aspiring to either be this kind of person or to marry one like this, that You would continue to shape and mold them so that even before marriage, they're looking for these kinds of people and won't settle for anything less. Even if it takes years and years to find one, we know that You will not take back, fail to give that which we desire if we walk uprightly. Father, give us these kinds of marriage relationships because in that it only strengthens the church. It only strengthens our ministry and gives us the example that we could follow and gives us the people in our churches who are shining lights in the midst of a dark place. And Father, as we confess and forsake, it gives us the opportunity to celebrate this, Your table, the table of Your Son, the table of the Lord, so that as we confess, we can see, like Lamentations 3 says, that there's dew on the grass, which means Your faithfulness is new every morning. Give us another opportunity, Father. Through Christ we pray. Amen.